Hey everybody, this is Mickey. Uh, yeah, it's, hi. <laughs> Feels like ages since I've done an advert. Uh, but I just wanted to talk about Zestcoin again. As you know, these guys have been sponsoring us for a while now, and that's for a good reason, actually, because I don't know. I really don't know if I should go into it, but Mike, uh, the basically one of the main guys over there uh, at Zest, he is uh, angel. Honestly, he's a diamond. Uh, I don't know how much. I don't know if he want me to tell you guys what he did, but but basically, um, we had an issue with another coin, uh, <coughs> um, and uh, we we lost some money. There was a the the wallet fucked up and messed up. Sorry, excuse my French. And uh, yeah, they they sort of said it's your fault. Um, which which basically it was. You know, we can't we can't deny that, uh, and we can't help to compensate you. And basically, Mike, um, you know, basically helped us out with a little bit of zest. Help, uh, there was like quite a few people in the pool. It was part of my trading group, and and Mike came to the rescue. So this is the kind of guys that you're that you're dealing with, um, Zest, but, um, anyway, it's, it's a small cap cryptocurrency backed by a great English team, uh, that we know well, they're building a decentralized currency, uh, Zest, that focuses on giving to non-profit and charitable organizations, there you go, we were charitable, I guess, <laughs> uh, so the network runs on proof of state protocol with masternodes built on top, uh, for added security and extra functionality, it's a great way to earn passive income, I think it's only, let me check Masternodes online at the moment. It's, um, right now it's going to cost you $476 for a Masternode. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And you're going to earn $800 a year. Um, so, I mean, that's not nothing, is it? $63 a month. Just, it, you double your money every year, basically, it's, or, or more. So, it's not bad at all. It's, it's not bad at all. Um, so they're just about to uh, get launched on an Asian exchange as well, uh, which continue to grow the community and push the project forward. Uh, you can find it on Cryptopia and Coin Exchange. Uh, if you have any questions, jump onto their Discord. Um, and the uh, website uh, URL for Zest is www. Do people still say that? www. Uh, Zestcoin.io. Z-E-S-T-C-O-I-N. Dot io go and check them out people bye bye afternoon wherever you are in the world that's I, um, the that i think that's the way you should start the show every time yeah i think so yeah because we take it for granted that we're out here and it's evening time and late night in bangkok but yeah it's uh, we're a truly global show our statistics say that uh, which is nice uh so anyway enough waffling i'm mickey cbt fag and this is willie the real deal 
uh, I think we're getting these uh, intros nailed down now. Just just perfect. Very short and sweet. Uh, today. Big show. Uh, tonight, this afternoon, this morning, wherever you are, again, uh, we have, again, what one of one of Willie and I's uh, sort of Mount Rushmore guests, uh, someone that we've paid a lot of attention to recently, uh, writer, researcher, author, all-round modest dude, uh, Donald Jeffries. How are you doing, Donald? Fine, thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, thank you for coming on, Donald. Uh, so, yeah, you're over there in Washington and uh, starting to just feel the cold. It's, it's snowing, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> Amazingly enough. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready for winter? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not so much the winter, it's the people around, you know, because people can't drive, especially around here and they see a little bit of snow and it just, everything turns into gridlock then. I mean, the whole area shuts down with a little bit of snow. So that's, yeah. that's the worst part of it is, is, is that. And also we have one of the problems I write about all the time are our, you know, our crumbling infrastructure. And uh, one of the, one of the third world parts of our infrastructure are these outdated power grids. So we, we lose power a lot of times in snow, really? which never used to happen. Oh yeah. Oh, never wow. used to happen. Even 30, 40 years ago. So I worry about that because you've got lots of elderly people out there that can freeze and things like that. And it's sure. just, we have, we have a bunch of, you know, idiots in charge of everything. So they can't figure out how to, how to keep <laughs> yeah. the power up. So. How, do you, how do you feel about Amazon.com coming in and, and uh, jacking up the prices of your, of your housing? Well, that's that's gonna that's gonna certainly make the roads even more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> as as you're with twenty five thousand more people or whatever, and yeah, it's just uh, we're so congested. You hate to see even more is, people. Is, in is here, that where they built the donut thing? Is it? In, well, no, in Seattle's it, where Amazon's it, located, but they just announced New York and uh, DC. They're, they're putting yeah. a ton of uh, yeah, New York and uh, yeah. North. Yeah, it's about probably about. Uh, maybe eight miles away from me is where they're going to have it. But it's, I mean, yeah, it'll, I mean, the one good benefit for homeowners, yeah, it'll yeah. probably make my, my property go up a little more. So, yeah, I'll look at it, you know, yeah, uh, selfishly from that standpoint. But yeah, it's, it's not, not going to add to the, uh, the the uh, the unattractive nature of uh, the Northern Virginia no, it'll, area. No, it'll up the gentrification level 5X, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, uh, it had, is what it is. We had uh, Peter Vronsky on uh, a couple of a couple of nights ago. He's he's a he's an author up there in Canada, and we, he was just saying how how good it is for authors. Winter's actually not a bad time because it means you can hunker down and you know get in your studio and and write with your, with uh, your quill. Yeah, with you know sat next to your open yeah. fire and you know write your stuff and not worry about the sunshine right. outside. So, do, do you find you get more done in through the winter? Uh, well, I'm, I, you know, I, I write, uh, I, I work primarily from home now. So I, yeah. I, uh, I, I write a lot almost every day. I mean, I, I've got, and I've got so much material that's done. So I, I, uh, you know, I have two books coming out next year and I have, uh, another one that I've almost completed. I'm still doing research on it, which is actually about show business, completely different. But, um, and I, you know, I have a couple novels I'm peddling to that have been done for a long time. So I, I've got lots of material. It's, uh, so sometimes it's hard to figure, figure out, uh, what to write next, but I usually come up with something. I, I write every day pretty much. Mm, wow. So just touching on show business, um, you know, from from what I from what I've heard and, and read of you, Donald, that uh, what you write about the the scales are so far tipped or tilted in the favour of the elite that from the it seems that like from the moment that you're born, you're facing an uphill struggle. Um, is is that true? And and if so, how has it changed over the centuries? And is, and is it getting worse now or or better? Can we start off with that? Oh. 
Yeah, well, I think uh, you know and you, and that's pretty much the theme of my book, Survival of the Riches, which yes. is the last one I had published. And you know, uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, the system is rigged against. Uh, the little guy. I mean, there's no question about that. And it always has has been to one degree or another. I mean, you know, we can, we can remember centuries ago, you've probably forgotten, but I mean, when you had uh, the, uh, the royalty, one of, yeah. one of the things that they would do is that they would, they would uh, actually, uh, some of their serfs, they would have, they would station them out there, the first graveyard shift workers, I guess. They would be out all night uh, near the uh, the swamps and the ponds where the frogs would be croaking and, and keep the royals up at night. So they would out there to, they would, they would make them stay out there all night and beat the lily pads. <laughs> so we, we may have graduated a little bit from that. I mean, maybe perhaps not, it's not quite that bad, but, uh, the people like myself, uh, I was born in 1956. So I was born at the end of the, uh, baby boomer era. Mm. And, uh, we grew up in America anyhow. I don't know how it was the rest of the world, but we had a completely different standard of living than really any generation previous to us because um, – and certainly the people that are out there now. So we were spoiled. We grew up in the post-war era boom where any job in America, any job, working at a gas station, whatever, anything, paid you enough to lead a decent life. I mean I, I knew uh, the parents of uh, my schoolmates that were you know, working in retail and things now they tell you that are you know, only for high school kids or whatever. They're not real jobs. Well, they were real jobs then. And they yeah. paid enough to where you could own a home. You could own a car. Get Your a wife pension. never had to work. Yeah, yeah. Get a pension, and and you had as many kids as you want. You didn't have to limit yourself. So, we had a much better standard of living. So, for people like myself, Ross Perot was the first one to bring this up back in the nineteen ninety two campaign, where he said, you know, if we don't change things, this generation, our children's generation, and my children's generation, come up is going to be the first generation in American history that doesn't have a higher standard of living than their parents did. And unfortunately, that's what's come to pass. My children's generation will not have a higher – unless we drastically change things. And God knows what kind of uh, you know, standard of living our, my grandchildren's generation might have. So it's, we, it's, it's unfortunate because – and a lot of that is due, obviously, because of the disparity of wealth. Right now in America, one statistic I quote over and over again – people may be sick of it, but it, but it bears repeating – is that the bottom half of Americans, the bottom 50 percent, are making less than $27,000 a year. Oh, that's no. not enough to, to get a one-bedroom apartment, certainly in my area of the country. <laughs> I right. live in one of the wealthiest uh, counties in, in the United States, and that same 50 percent has less than 1 percent of the collective wealth. You can't have a first-world economy based on that when half your country is, is you know, on the verge of destitution if they're not already destitute. Yeah. My dad talks a lot about how when he was growing up, uh, same era as you, he's a baby boomer, a little bit earlier, he talks about remembering the feeling, like you just described, of having like a real big, thriving middle class. And that just seems yes. to be mostly gone in America, and I'd imagine probably the UK yeah, as well, yeah, Mike. Absolutely, yeah. It's pretty stark yeah, well, how UK big of a change that was. Sorry, go ahead. Absolutely, and that and that's the, I think that's the the most obvious aspect we can see is what what differentiated America and what we used to brag about all the time was that thriving middle class. And at that time, we didn't you know we didn't really notice so much the one percent. I mean, certainly they were there, but at that time, CEO pay compared to average pay was was nothing. Now it's you know thousands of times or whatever it is. We don't even the statistics vary, but it's obviously way higher here than than anywhere else in the world. And it's just growing all the time. Back then, instead of a CEO, they didn't even call them CEOs then. You tended to have like a president of a company, and usually a lot of times they had founded it, so they had a real vested interest in it, kind mm -hmm. of a pride 
or maybe their kids ran it. And there was a more of a uh, family atmosphere. You, you tended to get a turkey at Christmas or whatever, or, or some kind of little bonus or something. Uh, you tended to get yearly raises. It really was more possible at that time, uh, although Horatio Alger's stories were always largely a myth. At that time, you did – there was a chance – albeit slight, but there was a chance for someone to start out in the mailroom and work his way up, you know, into the upper echelons of, of management mm. at a company. You, there, that's an absolutely impossible now to do anywhere in America. It just cannot happen. And, and it's been that way for a while. But that's, I think, what we've lost is, is the the ability to, and, and one of the things I did in Survival of the Rich is I looked uh, into the backgrounds of, of so many celebrities and uh, <clears throat> corporate leaders, um, you name it, people that are in the public eye and that are famous for, for some reason and rich. And I found invariably that almost all of them came from the upper middle class at least, if not the 1% already. I mean, a bunch wow. of them were, you know, so more than I can name were, were descendant from the Mayflower. I and mean, that's what we think of our aristocracy. You know, I'm a Mayflower descendant. Well, you would be shocked at how many celebrities came from the, you know, whose, uh, you know, ancestors were on the Mayflower. Okay. Yeah. So Willie, uh, could you yeah. dig in on that a little bit further? I, I just have some memories of learning about the Mayflower and, you know, they hit, they came over on, from England and told Plymouth rock or whatever. Could you, do you right. know any specifically of who, who came out, who came well, off that I mean, boat eventually? I, I mean, yeah, we, we have, we have so many uh, kind of myths from that. The, the John Smith speak for yourself, John, yeah. that kind of thing. And then, you know, that, that we learned, I learned anyhow in school back when they used to teach that stuff, but <laughs> it, the Mayflower, you know, Malcolm X later famously said, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the pilgrims didn't land on Plymouth rock, Plymouth rock landed on us or something like that. You know, <laughs> he kind of had a kind of a colorful thing about it, but, um, but you know, it, it's considered when you say they, they can say pretty much started puritanical society and uh, really started the kind of the, the uh, Calvinist uh, Protestant kind of mentality, especially in New England, they're considered like that old money. For instance, when right. the Kennedys came into Boston, they were the Irish, even though they had be- quickly became wealthier than a lot of those old families there, they weren't old money. So the quintessential old money in America were, were from those Mayflower yeah. people, and so that's why I think it's symbolically when you say I'm a you know I'm, I'm a uh, I'm a descendant of the Mayflower, it, it just or to me it marks you. Wow, you're you know you you clearly your family has always been wealthy. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, yeah. And, 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 to, and that's the thing. I, sorry to paint a picture kind of for Mike here. When you go up to like New England and the Boston area, and you see like Nantucket and these old homes that have been there for three four hundred years, it's more like Europe. And the, and then when you go out to the West Coast in California, and there's also a lot of rich people, but it's just such obvious new money compared to like the yeah. traditions that have existed since all so, that time. So so to give me another his, give me another history lesson. Um, so people were were invited to come over from from Europe, or, or people made the pilgrimage over from Europe, right, uh, or, or wherever, and, and they landed in America. And were certain people like given really good fertile pieces of land, like like the the people with the most connections, they were given the best land, and then other people were given sort of slightly worse farmsteads and stuff. Is that? I'll let you go, Dennis. I, I don't have a clear understanding of. Sorry, Donald. Well, well, you know. Uh, the 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 myth well I don't again we don't we don't know because we weren't there but yeah. uh, you know the the, uh, the what they tell us in the history books would be that these people worked the land uh, and and later they would yeah. you know kind of expand west and they would clear clear forest land and they would you know be on stagecoach and I'm sure that happened a lot I mean obviously I, I don't think that's complete myth but uh, being cynical like I am. 
Yeah, I would think that there would uh, – because certainly they – I don't know how many of them were wealthy to begin with. But you know, until recently when we started having um, illegal immigrants coming from Mexico, the, the poorest people in the world really mm. coming into and adding to our collective poor here. That's why people don't see that's, that's a problem. They're just making more poor people when you let them in here and depressing wages even further. But until, until even 40 years ago, when you saw immigrants into America that came from like Korea, India, places like that, that they almost always came from wealthy families because they needed that money to be able to make the trip. Right. They got themselves established. I mean, I you know I, I remember working as a young guy. I knew people that had been doctors in Korea that were working in the cafeteria at place. You know, so wow. they 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 so they actually. But then their kid their kids picked it up and they had tons of money in the bank because again they brought money from their country. So I suspect that people that made those trips were probably like the 1% of their time. They probably had to be in a position to be able to afford the trip. So they probably had resources when they got here. Now, I don't know what they did in in terms of the Indians and all that. I mean, it's, you know, we have to, we have have to rely on what I call the court historians. And my, and my next book that comes out, uh, it's going to be published in uh, May is going to explore. It won't go back as far as the Mayflower because I had to start it somewhere. So I started it basically during the, you know, the revolutionary war, the birth of the uh, Mm -hmm. Republic here. But, um, but I, I explore a lot of this myths. And unfortunately what we're told about all this comes from what I call the court historians uh, they're the, they're just like the, our mainstream media reporters today that, yeah. that lie and distort everything. Everything we see about current events is yeah. filtered through them. The people that write the history books. Yeah, the custodians of, yeah. the, of yeah. the information, man. And, yeah, yeah and, and history history is written by the victors. We right. must always remember that. And in, in my view, in my cynical view, the average people have never won anything. They've always lost. So they're never writing the history books. So, you know, you're, you're, you have to be dependent on what they say. So... The, the myth is, of course, that – and again, I don't know. I'm sure they, they had to – just the fact they endured, I guess, the harsh New England winters up there. And I presumably they didn't have ready-made mansions for them or anything. So, <laughs> I so yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that you know they endured some kind of hardship. But I think the important thing there is that is this, I, what I find fascinating is that so many people that ended up – that are in the public eye today – can trace their ancestry back yeah. to the Mayflower. It's, I know I certainly can't trace mine back or anybody I know. It's sort of an inconvenient kind of depressing truth to, to hear. Like it's not something you would want to tell your kids and be like, Hey, reach for the stars. But actually, you know, there's a very small <laughs> chance that you're going to make it because uh, the, the deck yeah, is stacked. It is. <laughs> it is. And I, I have the stats like that in the book that are just, I mean, they're depressing, but, and they're overwhelming. I, I don't remember them all, but I know, I know like, um, for instance, what we call, what I, you know, somebody put out a video a while back called the college conspiracy. And I, I thought college mm. is a conspiracy for a long time, especially with the student loan thing they have. But totally. you, you can see, you can see this lack of, uh, of economic, uh, you know, upper mobility there because out of in, in America they generally categorize. I think it's 146 colleges they consider upper tier, top tier colleges, mm. and these are colleges. If you get into there, unlike your local university, they almost pretty much guaranteed. Uh, some kind of success where somebody sees, you know, you go to Harvard or Yale and you're going to get yeah. a great job somewhere. It doesn't matter what you study. You know, it's unlike a lot of universities. Well, you shouldn't have majored in that. You know, you should have known better. That's not that. But if you go to Harvard or Yale, whatever you major in, you're going to get a great job. You've got an Ivy League degree. But only 3% of the students at those top colleges come from the bottom quarter income level wise of America. My God. And, and, 3%, and you can guarantee that those 3% 
are almost all athletes yeah, fo- that play, play at right? the schools. Yeah, football, right. And, and football and basketball players who don't remotely belong there. They're right. just there as, you know, to, to make money for the university. So you take that out and there's virtually nobody from, you know, the, the, the really poverty stricken areas, the bottom quarter yeah. of America that's going to these. So that shows you where's the, and, and I have other stats there that show how, and I, again, I don't have them off the top of my head, but people, if they're interested in the book, Survival of the Riches has them all, but it's, it's a very low percentage of people in the bottom quarter that ever even gravitate to the next quarter, basically to the, the, the half point yeah. that go up at all. And it's, whereas if you were in the, Next to the top quarter, if you're already pretty well off, then you have you have a much better chance of going. So if you're if you're already have some resources, that's what we see in the celebrities and so forth. A lot of them come from upper, solid upper middle class backgrounds. So it's much easier to gravitate up into the true one percent from there. You know, if you're born wealthy, it's almost impossible not to to stay wealthy or become wealthier. And if you're born poor, it's almost impossible, you know, not to die poor. Unfortunately. So how? So what? What are some of the tactics, Donald, that people use to stay uh, in in those privileged positions? Like, I mean, I would say murder in some cases. You know, mistakes sure. are often rewarded with large payouts in the upper echelons of our yes. of our business world. What yeah. what what kind of tactics do, the, to these uh, to these one percenters? used to stay in the one percent it's rigged isn't it the system's rigged well the system is entirely rigged and 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 what it is it's it's the double standards we see everywhere for instance uh in drugs you know we have an opioid epidemic now they're Mm. telling us when they're talking about the opioid epidemic they're not talking about people like you know senator john mccain the late sainted john mccain's wife who was an opioid addict and was a nurse and was caught stealing drugs from her employer and nothing happened to her Nothing, absolutely nothing. And she still leads a, you know, uh, you know, a life where she's respected. Uh, or somebody like Rush Limbaugh, who was a radio host here, a big guy. Yeah. He was an opioid addict. He got a slap on the wrist. Um, it, tons and tons of celebrities like that. Tons of athletes that get caught with a hundred pounds of marijuana in their trunk, and they—I don't know how it got there. You know, it's and it's it's accepted. When somebody who's already wealthy says that, they, they accept the most absurd excuses and it, how they're looked at by society. Robert Downey Jr., the most famous actor in, actor in the world, he had tons of drug problems. He woke up naked in somebody else's bed, yeah. I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago in somebody else's home. I mean, imagine the common riffraff as that happened. They'd lock you up and throw away the key. But when they're a celebrity, they're, they're instantly sympathized with the public, the vast majority of the public who has nothing, and yet they sympathize with these people, and they don't want to have any harsh penalties against them. The court system, instantly they find a lenient judge, which the average, uh, average guy never does. Mm. They find a sympathetic jury, which the average guy never does. And most importantly, they get real legal representation, which the, the average person gets a, a, a court-appointed public defender who spends less than five minutes with them. And those five minutes are basically predicated on, okay, this is the best deal I can get you. If you keep saying, I didn't do it, they don't care. They're not even going to attempt to amend it, amount to defense for you. So the poor people, when they get caught with drugs, it's, it's, hey, you know, we need to teach you a lesson. You shouldn't have done that. You know, yeah. that'll, that'll teach you. We need to throw you in jail. If a rich person gets, gets the exact same drug or whatever, they say, well, you need help. You need yeah. treatment. And, and, and it's you part know, of... Uh, sorry, Donald. It's part of a wider, deeper conspiracy as well, isn't it? The you know the the sort of influx of crack cocaine into sort of African American oh, neighborhoods and, and things like that. That this is all part of a deeper conspiracy as well, isn't it? 
Absolutely. And, and we saw we saw just in that, in the crack cocaine versus the powder cocaine, you can see the disparity yeah. there in sentencing. And that's what Gary Webb was writing about. I mean, Gary Webb wasn't even writing necessarily about the disparity in sentencing yet because that didn't happen until – and so, so much of this stuff happened during the 90s under the so-called liberal Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton transformed – uh, the, the idea of liberalism into this monstrosity we have today where he felt your pain and you have all this social justice warrior nonsense and want to lock people up for for saying the wrong thing but they don't care about civil liberties they don't care about i mean they've locked up well they keep wanting to fire people for saying the wrong word that might offend black people they've locked up half of black america because of these <laughs> absurd harsh prison uh, prison sentences that came under bill clinton mm -hmm. and again it only applies when i i have a quote from some, in hidden history in my earlier book from uh, when i wrote about the our injustice system which is what i call it uh, it's it's been, it's full of poor people the, the guy had been in prison i think 20 some years and he said I, you know, I've, I've literally met hundreds, if not thousands of prisoners during my time incarcerated. I've never met one person who was rich before he got in here. Oh my God. And that, that's what our prison system is. It's, it's, it's prison industrial complex. It's, we've locked up more people now than any country in the history of the world ever has more than all the other. We have more people in prison than China, which has, you know, how many times our population right. and has a totalitarian country. America is doing everything wrong, and that most of what I write and most of what I talk about is basically predicated on criticism of the way our country is being run right now. And, and I do it because I, I love my country. I just hate the people that are running it. And the system is rigged, but as, as President Trump, one of the many great things Donald Trump said during his campaign, if you don't even remember them now, he said, you know, you can't, the system is rigged, and you can't fix it by trusting those who rigged it. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, yeah. I wish you'd remember that. Right. Yeah. And and just touching on what you said about uh, Bill Clinton and, and locking people up for drugs. Well, th there's that story about the CIA guy. Was it Barry Sil Silbert? Is it? Barry Seal. Barry Seal. Barry yeah. Seal. Yeah. Who was bringing drugs yeah. in for the for the CIA and Bill Clinton pardoned him, didn't he? He was about to go to prison and Bill Clinton picked up the phone. And so, again, you know, if Bill Clinton was really anti-drugs, then... Of course, that I mean that that's a true story, Donald. I, I believe so, right? Yeah, and and Bill Clinton, we we have plenty of anecdotal evidence that he was. I mean, this this to me, this is the the how these guys sleep at night. I don't know how, but but Bill mm. Clinton lo was locking up tons of people for doing cocaine, and we have if his own brother said he had a nose like an aardvark yeah. or something. Or something. <laughs> yeah. he, he, was a, he, he was a huge cocaine addict. <laughs> we know that George George W. Bush did cocaine. <laughs> we, know that, we know that Barack Obama did cocaine. Yeah. I don't know about Trump. Trump seems to be a weird kind it, of character. It wouldn't but, shock me if he but, did at one point. I think yeah, Trump's well, yeah, straight, we, though. I think Trump's pretty straight. Yeah, he, see, he claims not to even drink alcohol. Right. I, Trump's got his own, is in his kind of his Diet own world. But, do you think he's probably on some kind of pill, though, or something? Diet pills, probably, yeah. yeah. Well, he might be with his, yeah, with his yeah. You know, Viagra or something, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> 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 so, so, so where did it all go wrong as it regards going back to you know, the rich staying rich and you talking about having that ideal middle class in the, in the post world war two era. When, when did it, when did the rich or the one percent, when did it start becoming like so overtly unfair? Well, I think there, there, there are several key, there were several key factors. And uh, a lot of this, I think we, we really started seeing this in the 1980s when Reagan came to power. And 
unfortunately, people were so sick of uh, the failed big government experiments. And I've written all that. I mean, I, I'm a classical liberal. I'm a populist. Uh, but I hate the left-right paradigm. And the left that we have today is not the left the way I look at it. And uh, they, they've become enamored really ever since the days of FDR, when my hero was Huey Long, and he, I've written a lot about him as well, and I believe they killed him. And he, he was a real populist as opposed to FDR, who was the first one who really created these huge uh, bureaucracies and, and these social programs, which some good filtered through. But by the time LBJ came into office after they killed JFK um, with his so-called war on poverty, he just created, again, this monstrosity. And it was that's the first time where they started dipping into the Social Security Fund. LBJ did intermingling it with everyone else. But because of all this, and, and you know Jimmy Carter during his presidency, uh, the interest rates shot up, which really the president has nothing to do with that. But he was seen as a failed president. So at right. that time, the country took a sharp turn to the right. They were ready for this actor, Ronald Reagan, who, who spoke well. And his rhetoric was – until we came to Trump, his rhetoric was so different than the reality than, than any, any president we've ever seen. But he came into office, didn't do anything he said he was going to do. But what, what he did do – is he consolidated this this new Ayn Rand inspired? For those who don't you know don't, don't know Ayn Rand, she's came up with this objectivist philosophy. This basically it said greed is good. Well, the Republican Party, much as Bill Clinton would transform the Democratic Party in the 90s from any kind of a party that was uh, interested in fair wages and civil liberties and uh, peace over war into this neocon uh, infested uh, neoliberalism that we see today. It is really doesn't offer anything different than the right. The new right is the Ayn and Rand inspired greed is good neocon foreign policy. They both have neocon foreign policies. But under Reagan, I believe it, probably the first shot heard around the world we saw was when he, you know, he stood up to the air traffic controllers that were on strike in the early 80s. And for whatever reason, symbolically, that that did something to the entire labor movement in, in, in our country. And from that moment on, that was the early 80s, early in his presidency, we have not had the only effective unions left in America now are the professional sports unions, the NBA, the NFL, especially. Right. Who, uh, they're great unions, but and and government. We still have some good government unions. Government workers still do well. They get paid well because you know they got the best employers mm. in the world. The hapless taxpayer, <laughs> well, you know, who gives them the we give them the greatest pensions imaginable for working class stiffs, where most of us are having our pensions eliminated. And so, they're just rent seekers of, running out the clock on the day. You know, like they're not contributing yeah, exactly. they're, much. No, and uh, you could you could literally, and that's why Reagan was so attractive when he talked about because you you really could eliminate ninety percent of government agencies because it, and that's that's the irony of America. And I, I describe it like this: is we have a, we pay for a socialist nanny state. And we get nothing we in return. Get we, get no, we get no service. We pay more for health care than all the the the, the one the uh, one payer uh, you know yeah. uh, health care systems all around the world. How can that be? But and obviously we you know look at our crumbling infrastructure. Our roads and bridges are falling apart because the money goes into these black holes, and we don't even know where they're going. Our intelligence budgets are still secret. Nobody cares. We have this awful Federal Reserve that is, is counterfeit money yeah. and is is creating money Fiat. out of nothing. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah. we uh, when you say so, uh, I'm sorry, go on. Go on. 
you finish. No, I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of going all over the well, place. No, no, I tend no, to do I like that. it. Yeah, I love <laughs> it. Yeah, I, I love it. To, I tend to do that. But but <laughs> but Reagan, I think to answer your question, the initial original question, was I believe the the air traffic controller strike crippled uh, served to begin the crippling of unions, yeah. and people didn't realize. It took me a long while to realize. I was never, I never worked for a union, but the presence of unions back then, even though. They were largely corrupt, especially the big ones. They were mob infested and and they, you know, again, they, but just the fact that they were there, we had higher wages and better benefits, even in non-union jobs, because it just, their, their presence served to, to, uh, to, to accomplish that kind of objective for the workers. So getting rid of that. And, and the, the other thing, I think the other big thing that happened during the Reagan years, uh, was immigration and immigration? Reagan had was the last president who had a chance really to do something about it. At that time, our southern border suddenly became unprotected. You know, strangely enough, you know, this right. is the government that can can do it's in your lives and peeking Oops. in your bedroom and doing everything. But they can't somehow they can't solve this this, this seepage over. We got troops in 160 countries around the world, but that are, they have no business being there. Yeah, but we crazy. can't protect. Hey, this is Mickey. How you doing, guys? Yeah, today's sponsor is Mastercoin. You might have heard us talking about Masternodes on, here on uh, This Strange Life. Well, this project takes the technical dif- difficulties out of launching your own Masternode. Mastercoin has a product called Masterpool that allows for easy, one-click Masternode setup of a variety of Masternode projects. Zestcoin, our other sponsor, being one of them, amongst many others. The team is Europe-based, really friendly. Uh, They've got an active community, and you can go and chat away with them there on Discord. Uh, There's loads of new features coming up, like uh, Mastercoin, uh, sorry, with Mastercoin, like a web wallet, uh, decentralized exchange, uh, shared masternodes, and more. So go and buy some now on Mercatox or Crypto Bridge. That's Mastercoin, and their URL for anyone wishing to uh, to visit their website is uh, H. <laughs> H. No, you don't have to do that, dear. It's Mastercoin. M A S T E R C O I N dot O N E. Mastercoin dot one. Uh, go and check them out, guys. Uh, this is Mickey signing off. So, yeah. what happened is all these immigrants, the, the poorest people in the world, coming across, and both sides wanted that. The Democrats wanted it because it was a new voting block, and they could say, you know, it's all Whitey's fault, and they would, you know, vote for them, and you know, we'll give you a little, you know, that little benefits that seem better than what you had back in your mud hut. The Republicans loved it because, hey, cheap labor, and there's nothing more they wanted than uh, under their Ayn and Rand-inspired greed is good philosophy. The new objective became, hey, how can we get the most out of these people for the least amount of money? So, and not pay them benefits. Uh, you know, we don't the things we've traditionally done. So, I think those two things really paved the way. And since then, it's spiraled because Bill Clinton did nothing to stop it in the 90s under the liberals. And by the time uh, 9-11 rolled around and the Patriot yeah. Act came in and all these new infringements on civil liberties, it's just been out of control ever since then. And people – I try to tell people some of the stuff, you know, the, 
that every worker had you know, benefits back in the seventies, and they just they they it's like it's like you're living in a different world. So don't, don't you think and though be, that maybe come, like uh, globalization and the rise of China has also had something to do with this? Like when you take a more well, actually, global well, look yeah, at it, that well, yeah, in the nineties, the nineties was during the nineties. Building on the Reagan effect on the 90s, NAFTA and the other awful trade deals, the, the outsourcing the uh, of industry offshores, uh, all of that, that just, you know, shut down industry in America. So you had you yeah. know, the people, all the auto workers in Detroit that you, and, and people that worked on assembly lines that didn't have any education but had good union jobs, made good lives for themselves – those opportunities aren't there anymore. So, yeah. you know, they keep saying, get an education. Well, the value of every college degree is diminished the more there are. So it's, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, would, if everybody had a Harvard degree, would, would everybody, someone still has to clean the toilets and clean the floors and, yeah. and do the grunt work. And, and you can't just keep, but their, their philosophy seems to be, well, let's just bring more Mexicans in and we'll pay them nothing to do it. And that's, and then we'll, we'll smear you and say, oh, these are the jobs you don't want to do as if, as if these jobs didn't used to get done before that. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very terrible situation because the, the, both the left and right. And that's why I, I'm trying to break outside this left, right paradigm, yeah. but it's, 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 it's not easy because people are yeah. entrenched Divide on either and side and they're, yeah, exactly. uh, they, yeah, and they're ready to go to war for yeah. transgender bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just meaningless stuff. Right. right. Yeah, that's yeah. what people get hung up on. Where do you want to go next, Mike? Well, I got a couple no, ideas. No, but... I, I've just there was a couple of points um, I, that that just came to mind while while we we were on um, we were talking about that while you guys were riffing. Uh, so the first is um, just from a purely devil's advocate uh, position. Uh, I have no political leaning either way. Uh, were 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 um, unions? Were they were they truly good for for the country as a whole, for America as a whole? Were were, were they a truly good things? I heard they were abused quite a lot. Like you had two people sharing the same job, and you know, yeah. uh, it, it realigns the incentive system pretty far to yeah. protect people. Yeah farther down you know well, but i think well, they, they, go ahead yeah yeah well they were they were there and it's and certainly the john f kennedy and robert f kennedy got their political start in the mcclellan hearings back in the 1950s mm. where we're investigating and that's why that's where kennedy's first went up against jimmy hoffa who was you know kind of your uh, quintessential mob infested union boss and you know he ended up being knocked off uh, you know like, <laughs> like a typical mobster where his buried you know his body was buried in cement under a stadium or something we don't know still but uh, he ended his days like a lot of mob leaders do so yeah there that was but the, as i say even, even with that even factoring that and yeah people were you know killed but just but also people were killed when they were by uh, the capitalists when they first started trying to organize uh, unions so uh, there was because there, again there between labor and capital there there was always kind of that uh, you know obviously the natural animosity but uh, just the presence of unions i just know what i saw back in the you know the 70s and 80s and uh, at least that that all jobs paid more i'll give you a perfect example a lot of these uh, grocery stores that we had used to be unionized and one of the large grocery chains in my area that's been around for a long time, Safeway, I know personally a guy who was a cashier at a grocery store back in the early 1980s. He was making uh, $17 an hour then, what? which is which in, today, in, today's, oh in today's money, that would be over $112,000 a year. That same company, oh Safeway, God. still exists. The same job still exists, cashier. 
Today, they're paying less than $10 an hour. Wow. I can't think of a starker reality. How, how could that same company? Because okay. the first thing that... The, what, what, what would that yeah. do to a, to, a loaf, to the price of a loaf of bread or a pint of milk, though, with that? Well, well that's, that's, and, and that's typically what, it, what someone would say to you. I say, well, what did it yeah. do to a price of, price of a loaf of bread then? How yeah. come it didn't affect yeah. it then? Because yeah. you, didn't have, you didn't have the CEOs and the management making these Bureaucracy. millions of dollars yeah. in bonuses. Yeah, and that, so that's the difference. So, the, yeah, that's the first thing they'll tell you. Oh, you know, we give you $15 an hour to flip burgers. How much are you going to pay for your crappy burger? Well, I, you know, I, I document in Survival of the Richest, they were giving some 80-year-old guy, I don't know how many millions of dollars a year McDonald's was, to sit on their board of directors and do nothing. So these, they always have money for people to dole out to give them, you know, Al, Al Gore, for instance, is making over $600,000 a year to attend five meetings a year for Apple <laughs> to sit on their board oh of directors. God. So, so they, have, they have the money to do that. But they can't pay their people at the bottom a living wage. So right. that's my point that I miss all the time is that there's always money for the golden, you know, Carly Free Arena types or who ran Hewlett Packard into the ground. Yeah. Did a terrible job. Like most of these CEOs are terrible at their jobs. They run them into the and they gave her over forty million dollars to go away. And she was she felt empowered enough by her complete failure as a CEO to run for president as if she as if she <laughs> was qualified. And and people treated her seriously. The media the media didn't mock her like they would mock a Trump or something for yeah. some stupid thing he did. They didn't mock her in the least. They didn't bring up the fact she got a forty million dollar during the presidential debate she was in. No, none of the questioners, you know, grilled her like they would grill Trump over something. They didn't say, you know, how do you, you know, exactly how do you feel qualified to run for president when you, you know, you're, you did a terrible job as by anyone's standards yeah. as CEO. But so that's the kind of problem we have is that the money is there at the top and there's always an excuse somehow to give the latest, you know, CEO uh, to increase his bonus to an even more astronomical level. But we've mm -hmm. got to cut out things at the bottom. And, you know, we can't have plants mm -hmm. in the office anymore. And if you're caught taking a pen home, you're going to be fired. I mean, that <laughs> that's the kind of stuff there. That's why we're, America is so wrongheaded because can we're, we, uh, we're can, sorry. Can we take a quick look into like the future and where you think maybe we could or should go with like universal basic income or some of your ideas on what you think could be paths forward for us? Yeah, I mean, you you spoke um, at, at, at length about uh, Huey Long, uh, and, and I really love yes. that, and I've done a lot of research uh, on him since since the podcast, Donald. Um, so I think that would add to what Willie's saying, some of the things that he uh, actually instigated, and he, I think he had it right. He, he had a lot yeah. of things right, didn't he? Oh, he, he's he's my political hero, and he's more relevant uh, every day. I mean, you listen to his speeches now, and they're they're so they're just invigorating, they're refreshing, uh, and uh, he would be mortified at what has happened to the country since uh, you know the consolidation of wealth. But you know, I don't hold much optimism for the future. Obviously, I I think that again, going outside the left right paradigm, I'm I'm no fan of Donald Trump on a lot most issues, but during his campaign, both he and Bernie Sanders. Uh, and again, I'm not a fan of Bernie Sanders on a lot of things either, but both of them touched uh, on elements of populism, which is what America really is. And, and everywhere in the world, you see it in Italy and places like that. All over the world, there's a, there's a populism. There's an inherent power to the people mentality everywhere because every, I think everyone sees – and just – maybe Iceland didn't. They throw their, throw their bankers in jail, but just about every other country in the world – 
the people know they're being screwed over to one degree or another. So when somebody comes up and starts saying these things that the other politicians aren't saying, it strikes a chord with them. And that's what explains Donald Trump's success, because when he yells out fake news, we've all known it's fake news for a long time. It strikes a chord. When he talked about our infrastructure and what a travesty it was, no one had talked about that for a long time. He, he, so, the swamp di- and all that, yeah. Drain the swamp, Donald, and yeah, that's another thing he pointed out, wasn't it? But but he taught, and same thing with Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders talked a little bit about, you know, why is the CEO making this much and the workers aren't? So people, they're they're starving for that kind of stuff, but we don't normally get that. And that's why I don't think, because the system, Donald Trump exposed, the election of Donald Trump exposed just how entrenched this swamp is. Again, he's not doing anything about it. He's talking a lot, Mm -hmm. but he's not doing anything, but just his presence is exposing and, and into what I I really still don't know to what degree Trump is an, a, an actor playing a part or if they're if he's sincere I don't know, but the hatred towards him is just unprecedented, and it exposes the other side and I think it shows that in my mind I said when he was running I said you know, because we're, we're America's never going to get uh, unfortunately a Huey Long type again. Did you the think Trump would win as he as he was campaigning? No. Absolutely. I had I, I one of the biggest political shocks. My I yeah. I would have bet every penny I own that Hillary Clinton would. I think she was I like an 80-20 favorite or something like that, according to you know oh, the yeah. bookmakers, or maybe more. You would I mean, know. You, yeah. You had every everybody going every talking head every saying he has no chance. He has no chance. There's no way. <laughs> Laughing and scoffing at his candidacy. So I I'm still trying to process that. I so think he's going to win I again. Still, I think he's going to win oh, again. Oh yeah. I, if they run the kind of people, the, the Joe Biden types or Hillary, again, Hillary yeah, might they don't go again, to, right? That's yes, what, that's the latest. <laughs> and and, and the, the country is so divided. But I, I said then, and I, I said even more so now that the, un, as, as flawed as he is, as infuriating as he is to listen to when he can't put two words together and his 12 yeah. year old mentality and his tweeting from the dark corners of the white house <laughs> with these idiot, idiot celebrities getting in food fights with them all the time. That just makes us more of an idiocracy every day. He is our last hope because the system he's, he's shown exactly how entrenched the system is and what, what the system would do to a real a reformer, a Huey Long type or something. I mean, well, obviously they'd kill him probably, but <laughs> like they did in 1935, but they, the system is so closed against reform and the corruption is so in, entrenched yeah. at every level from, you know, from dog catcher and county commissioner on up, this, the corruption is everywhere. So this guy is at the top and even though he's not doing really I mean, just the fact that he talked about, for instance, putting troops at the border, the system went crazy. And I tried to point out, why aren't you going crazy over the fact we have troops in 160 countries around the world, but left over from World War II, but you don't want to protect our own border? You think it's okay to, to go bomb and occupy countries everywhere and kill civilians and get American soldiers killed for no reason at all? You can't even explain why we're there. But you don't want to protect our borders because they want that cheap labor. Yeah. They want that cheap labor, and so I, I think he's – I don't hold that much hope because once – after Trump, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because I think it's – no matter what, it's going to be awful because what the, – the worst part of the Trump phenomenon is even though among the people – it's transformed a lot of people and it's woken them up, even though, again, he's not really doing much, but just the idea that he might do something has woken a lot of people up and that he's, you know, he's draining the swamp and fighting the system, which 
to whatever degree is, it's, it's woken people up to realize that there is a system and it's rigged. But once the reality sets in and we get back to, you know, if Trump's elected, reelected, I think he will, it's, is he going to bring anybody else? Because right now, the, the phenomenon of Trump is a one-man phenomenon. He is what to whatever degree he's fighting this power, he's doing it alone. Because right. other, outside of maybe Rand Paul and the Republicans, the rest of the Republicans aren't with him. His entire administration was is consists of never Trumpers. I mean, I, I I read that everybody in the administration except him was opposed to him even having that summit with Putin. So. It's unprecedented. Obviously, the other party, you know, wants to, you know, I mean, I've heard people openly suggest let's have the military overthrow him. I mean, this this is the left. So, a coup. yeah, a coup. Exactly. They're openly suggesting it. They would support that. So, yeah, what happens after Trump, especially if he can't accomplish anything? Because so far, I I don't know what he's ever going to be able to accomplish. And certainly, if he doesn't. Uh, where I really differ with the people on the left, and that's why I have problems with a lot. I mean, the people on the left can't argue with my premise and survival of the richest, but <clears throat> they love immigration, right. and they refuse to they refuse to acknowledge the disastrous in, disastrous impact. And I think it's the single greatest contributing factor to our lowered wages and uh, decreased benefits because you can't have that kind of willingness the cheap labor and i and it's got nothing against the immigrants they're coming for desperate circumstances but their presence lowers our standard of living and 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 i think it's the greatest contributing factor to making america i think increasingly a third world nation well well social security just you know that's a ponzi scheme isn't it where you know uh, i mean how in 10 20 years time are you gonna have enough to even pay all the sort of aging uh aging pensioners yeah, and, 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 and most people don't even realize that Social Security is the most regressive tax on earth. Mm. They they only tax the first $119,000 of income. Now, do you hear Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or any of the Democrats talking? That should be their main talking point. Hey, we need to tax every in, every dollar of income. Yeah. Um, uh, we need to make Social Security means tested. Why, why is Bill Gates going to get Social Security? That's insane. But they don't. They don't talk about it at all because it, they're all part of the system, and, and they, they're all one-percenters. That's one of my arguments in Survival of the Riches is any di dialogue we have is between warring groups of one-percenters, the problems that, that apply to 80% of the American public. And it's this way everywhere in the world. The problems that apply to the masses are not felt. They're not significant by the people who make decisions or who report the news. So they're not subject to, you know, if it's so most, the vast so majority true, of them have yeah. pensions. I, I would they argue, have great pensions. yeah, I'd argue here in Thailand where Mike and I live, it's probably even exacerbated compared to America where the 1% is even higher up the food chain and the, you know, the rest of the population is much further down that spectrum of middle class, but, probably more yeah, lower middle class. But it feels and, less and dirty that's, that's, though, doesn't it? I don't think so. <laughs> I, 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 I would, I would probably well, push back. Well, that's generally the way the, the way it's it, what differentiated America and and uh, right. our, the European Western countries Europe. is yeah. that we we had to some degree a middle class, and the, and that's why I say third world. We're taking on the third world status where you're going to have fewer and fewer people at the top with more and more wealth, and everybody else 
desperately struggling. And that's, I think, again, I think that's what they want. Because I think in their heart of hearts, the people at the top, they really miss slavery and they, they want actual slaves. And you can't come any closer <clears throat> to slavery in America <clears throat> than illegal immigrants from South America because nobody's going to work cheaper. Nobody's going to take no benefits. It doesn't matter if they fall out of a tree while they're doing your landscaping, you know, that, that's it. You know, if the family protests, well, you know, you're not, you know, you're not, then suddenly it becomes, well, you know, you're not here illegally, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So, and that's, that's how it works. They love this cheap labor that they can kind of meet in the, in the parking lots of Home Depot and places like that. And they can pay them $10 to go, you know, do work where, you know, it used to be maybe $15 an hour. And they can, they can work them all day and maybe give them a water bottle and that they want, they want that cheap labor. So, it's not going to – we're not going to change that, and that's why you, you see – I mean in my area especially. Again, I live in a wealthy county. We just had a guy that ran for uh, a senator that was very vocal about uh, – he was the closest thing to a Trump kind of candidate in immigration. He wants to do something, and he went down to a resounding defeat because – and I know why. Uh, you know, I'm one of the few people in my area that mow my lawn still. I mean there's – there's there's they're, they're just addicted to this – yeah, this convenience, yeah. laziness, cheap labor, and it's 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 bringing America down. They're whistling past the graveyard. They're not seeing into the future the impact that uh, this is going to have on their children's lives, their grandchildren's lives, and and maybe I guess if they have enough money, they figure they'll leave them enough money and it'd be okay. But sooner or later, you know, the 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 economy is not going to be able to sustain itself, and and we're going to have a crash, uh, I think, of epic proportions and. At that point, I don't know what you do. That's why I hope that Trump, or because really, it, you know, I, I hate to put my hopes behind somebody like Trump because in many ways he's he's really as distasteful as they say he is. But he is at least he's the only fiscally, thing we appear to fiscally have. aware, right? Yeah. Where do you think the crash yeah, will he, come from? You think it'll be like Wall Street equity or more like you know government debt bullshit like that? Well, I just think we we used to call it back in the eighties. Uh, I mean, I, I'm writing now. Um, fairly regularly for the American free press. They used to call it the spotlight back in the eighties. And, uh, so nice. people can, you know, they pick up issues of that. And there's, there's usually at least one, one article, uh, by me in, in, cool. in every issue, awesome. but it, it publishes Pat Buchanan and, uh, Ron Paul and, uh, uh, Paul Craig Roberts, lots of good people. And so I'm, I'm honored That's cool. to have my work uh, next to them. But, uh, but back in the eighties, the, the spotlight talked about something called the, the, the upward spike. They had these economists talking about how because of our debt, because the way our, our money system is structured, most people don't understand the banking system. And people like Ron Paul, who would have been wonderful, you get a Ron Paul in there, then you're talking about a revolution. But just on you know the fact that he would have uh, stopped the wars and he would have uh, audited the Fed and, and probably abolished it and shown that when you have a system like we have, you can't have this debt that we have because the debt is created out of nothing. People don't realize under our counterfeit money system, every bank every day does something where if you did it as an individual, you'd be thrown in prison. They're counterfeiting money because they only have to have a fraction of the reserves on hand for every loan they make. So if, if one of you guys wants to borrow 100 bucks from me, 
I only have to have ten dollars or even Ron Paul even really? thinks that it's less. Now. Yeah, oh I only God. have. Nobody to knows how little it, it could be. No, nobody knows. Yeah. So I can I can say yeah okay you can have a hundred dollars and I I created out of thin air. Where did that ninety dollars come from? I don't know. And I'm gonna I'm gonna charge you imaginary interest on top of that. Where does the interest come from? Right. So oh you couldn't you couldn't call the loans in if you wanted. So the system is built on that. Every real estate loan. That's why I said when they when but does any politician Huey Long if he was alive today Huey Long stopped foreclosures this was when the system was much better right. back in the 30s he he all but eliminated foreclosures in, in uh, Louisiana because he understood the nature of it if he was around today he'd be saying the things I was saying and say look you know yeah. it, 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 what kind of audacity do you have to foreclose on someone when that mortgage you gave him was based on uh, on on money that you created at a th- if they made a couple payments you came out ahead and the same way especially credit card debt and all that where they jacked the rates up to you know 25 percent or whatever if you miss a payment you know how dare you you're right. you're not loaning and they, no, they call they're you evil. a deadbeat no. they're evil yeah they're yeah because they're they're you didn't loan them anything right. you didn't, i mean wouldn't wouldn't we all love to have a, a a a system like that where we could loan people money that we didn't possess and then wow, call them yeah. deadbeats when they didn't pay it back. but you don't hear anybody talking like that and that's the kind of focus it needs to be on because that's the that's the underbelly of the entire system. So when the collapse comes, yeah. I think it's going to come from that aspect where we have a completely funny money counterfeit system. It's based on nothing. So to whatever Donald, degree. A, lot, a lot of libertarians are putting a lot of uh, emphasis on the idea of like a new currency like like Bitcoin or something like that. Yes. That is, yeah. is, you know, fully backed and, and all lending is done on top of that, taking power out of the hands of central banks and decentralizing it and putting it into the hands of, you know, math equations and algorithms. Have you looked into that at all? Do you have any thoughts on it or pushbacks? I have and I, well, I, I, uh, unfortunately back during 2012, I guess it was, was it 2002? Yeah. 2012 when Ron Paul was running for president, uh, yeah. I, my, my son was, was much more active than me in that. And his friend, they, they both were very active. So I went to a couple parties where, um, all these Ron Paul supporters were at <laughs> and they were, they were starting to talk about Bitcoin then. And one of the guys had made a million dollars. Wow. Already and I and I, so I was and I wish I kicked myself every day because yeah. they were trying to talk <laughs> talk us into putting a little money in then if I had put a couple hundred bucks in then so, but you know that story so I wish I but I it just sent, I didn't understand it I still don't understand it, a lot it's about a it, big but I, rabbit but I, hole it takes a long time to get down yeah. it but but I but there's I a lot of interesting stuff the, down there. Yeah, well, the concept that it's not tied to this kind of imaginary fractional reserve lending, and I'm sure it frightens the powers that be because if it, if it got a hold where it it, yeah. it it made inroads to where people started using that instead of the uh, and it's truly global. Own. So you know, like each country yes. right now has a monopoly on their country's currency. So like, you know, there's twenty yeah. two hundred currencies around the world, but it's not because it's a free market. It's because the U.S. controls our currency, and in Europe, you know, it's controlled by the euro. So, if that was truly a free, decentralized marketplace, it would it would make it so that countries couldn't so easily finance wars like Iraq. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that's exactly because that's that, and that's what amazes me. You know, when, yeah. when we talk about. Uh, uh, here, whenever the subject of the infrastructure it comes up, or you know, what, what we finally got to look. I mean, basically, our infrastructure has been untouched since the Eisenhower years. Right. I mean, we're we're New York so City subway the, is a joke. Yeah, <laughs> it's a joke, and that's again was Trump's appeal because you know, Trump said, you know, I've been saying that stuff at parties for years. What a joke we are, you know. So it was so wonderful to hear somebody say it, but. 
if if, if whenever anybody talks about it, they say, well, how are you going to pay for it? Right. We need to raise the gas tax. But nobody talks about when you bomb Syria out of nowhere. Yeah. When you, you know, or whatever we're doing, any kind of foreign misadventure, nobody talks about how are you going to pay for that? And that's such a Somehow massive piece of the pie, you know? Yeah. And, and the, but the money's there. And nobody, it's almost like it's just a non-negotiable that like people just yeah, live exactly. with it. Don't nobody, question it. And, and that shows, and that's why America's collapsing because we have prioritized these absurd, senseless, pointless bloodletting and uh, whatever we're doing in these other countries. It makes no sense. We're you know we're not, we're not any kind of traditional wars where we're trying to get territory. We're not, it's not even an imperialist thing. We're not really taking over the countries. We're just there, occupying it. We're pissing everybody off. We're creating whatever real terrorists exist. We're creating by these 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 escapades. But it, it serves no purpose except a vast expenditure of money, and you know we don't know. And then you start going down the rabbit holes, and what you know what really is you know with the child sex trafficking and all that that may be part mm-hmm. of this. You know we we don't know. We, there's so many things that are going on that that uh, that we. And again, I tried to to write about them, and obviously just talking to you guys, you can see how many different subjects I've covered because there's yeah, there's great. so many things so many things that are connected, and I, I I'm interested in all of them, but they're all mm-hmm. part of the same problem that we face is that, that we have, I, I'm fond of saying that we have, our leaders are so bad that you could put an average group of preschoolers in charge and they do a better job. And you could put the average group of death row inmates in charge and they'd be more principled. Yeah. Uh, Donald, uh, th- this is all fantastic and I'm just cautious of the time. And I just wondered if we could change gears just for a, just for a the sort of last 10 minutes. Sure, um, sure. Uh, how, how much do you think we're in the position we are now, and I just wonder how how much you how much you believe that uh, sort of good things in this world are being repressed, uh, free energy, uh, a cure for cancer. You know, let, let's start with let's start with free energy. You know, you got Doctor Stanley Meyer and all these different people yep. and murders everywhere and blatant. Yep. How how much do you think we've been held back by, you know, the powers that be? Well, as you know, I wrote, I wrote about that in, uh, in, uh, survival of the riches. Yeah. And we, we talked about Dr. Stanley Meyer is one example. Uh, you know, there's, this is a guy that, uh, supposedly, and well, they had local news coverage. You, you could still, I think it's still out there on YouTube, but YouTube censors everything now. So they might've gotten rid of it, but yeah. used to be able to say basically the, the, the guy, the guy, they killed the guy I think the title was, they killed the guy that uh, invented the car that ran on water or something. You can see the reports and I describe his death in survival of the riches. It was out of Hollywood. I mean, you know, he was, he was meeting with his twin brother and some, I think, investors from Saudi investor. I can't remember where the investors were from, but he he was eating a dinner and he just suddenly felt sick and went outside and just dropped dead in the mm-hmm. parking lot. I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that happens to people like that. Mm-hmm. We've got a guy that uh, uh, is Joe Newman that's still out there that has had a free energy device around since the spotlight. The old newspaper used to interview him and talk about it. He's demonstrated his advice since the 1980s. He's still around somehow, I'm amazed, but he can't get it patented. And it's supposedly, you know, he, he, at the time he said, you could take one of these devices and stick it in your car for a couple hundred bucks and your car would run forever. Wow. You could take a bigger device, you could take a bigger device and stick it in your house and it would power your house forever. A little more expensive. So just imagine the impact on the oil companies. Imagine the impact on the utility companies. So these the ramifications and when we talk about cancer cures or anything like that, what is it, what is the what are the ramifications on the medical industrial complex? These kind of cures, these kind of reforms and and oh, 
improvements to life for the vast majority of people will not be allowed because of the selfishness. The people that are in charge, they make yeah. too much money off the present system. And so that that's why they repress it. I mean, the, the, I mean, the idea that all the money we've sunk into cancer, in my next book coming up, I'll have a little bit about uh, how uh, cancer was virtually unknown before the early years of the 20th century. It really was, they, they, done, they did a study uh, a few years back, a uh, big university did a study, they studied a bunch of mummies from antiquity, and they found no evidence of cancer. Really? I mean, it was My so. God. I, I, how is that possible? So we know it's something that's been created since the early 19. And uh, coincidentally or not, it, the the cancer suddenly burst on the scene right after uh, all consumption and all the childhood diseases that used to kill people. Before that, they were eradicated, mm. and suddenly new diseases. You know, Frank uh, Frank Zappa talked about that in his lyrics a long time ago. Out, huh. you know, with the place where they keep the imaginary diseases. You know, so there's always something there. And obviously, I don't trust the people in charge, and I I don't think they want uh, good things for people. So I I think they're they're definitely they much rather have money than have uh, a healthy, happy people out there. Yeah. Wow. That's what a great place to wrap this up, Donald. Um, that was fantastic. I think yeah. we could have you on for another two hours again sometime in the yeah. future and go into some completely other subjects because it yeah. sounds like you've got a lot of interests. Yeah, I mean, I I, I was I found myself sort of, uh, you know, cutting myself short there and stuff. So it would have been great to, to have you back for longer, Donald. But uh, thank no, you so any, much. You want to have, have me back anytime. That's why oh, I said that, I'm, I'm always happy to talk about these things. Sure. Oh, awesome. that'd be great. Yeah, maybe sort of three or four months down the line uh, we'll, we'll have you back. So, Donald... Uh, where, where, where can people, where can our uh, listeners get hold of you? Um, yeah, where, where can they find your stuff? Well, I, I, I blog pretty regularly. Uh, my blog is called Keeping It Unreal after my novel, The Unreals, and uh, it's <laughs> donaldjeffries.wordpress.com. Uh, Lou Rockwell has published a lot of my articles. Um, I am writing now for the American Free Press, so there's another there's another periodical coming out, Deep Truth, Deep Truth Journal, that I'll be writing for. I'm very active on social media. My books, Hidden History and Survival of the Riches, are out there for anybody who wants to check it. I'll, I'll be having uh, two books coming out next year. One of them is, again, called Crimes and Conspiracies and Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 and 1963. That'll be out in the spring. and the fall, I'm having a book about bullying uh, on, in, social, Whoa, in, oh. in social hierarchy in schools called Bullyocracy. Oh, wow. Uh, again, these, Let's get you so back that, about that coming, one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That'll, so that'll be out there. there. And so, so there's a lot of interesting stuff, but I'm, I'm easy to find. People can Google me, and they'll, they'll find uh, lots of stuff on me out there. Okay, cool. thanks, Donald. Well, you can find us at thisstrange.life on the interweb. You can find us on social media at Instagram and uh, Twitter at Strange Life. This, uh, if you go to our Twitter at the top of the page in the bio, there's a link to our Discord. Discord. Come and, yeah, come and chat with us in our Discord group. It's too quiet. Come on. We need people in there to come and chat with us. Chop it up. Um, and yeah, you can email us at thisstrangelifepodcast at gmail.com and you can find me on Twitter at Crypto Mickey. Find me at first name Willie, last name Delia. So at <laughs> Willie Delius on Twitter. All right. Donald, you're the man. Thank you so much. Uh, go and check him out, people. Donald Jeffries. Donald, Thanks thank again. you, sir. Uh, thank enjoy you. the rest of your morning there in Washington. My Cheers. pleasure. Enjoy Thanks, it. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.
icons from the icons. Icons should be icons, shoot the icons from the icons. Icons should be icons, shoot the icons from the icons. Icons should be icons, shoot the icons from the icons. Icons should be icons, shoot the 